0: Disclaimer before we get started I am not a doctor or a medical professional. This podcast is not meant to give medical advice or education, merely entertainment. If you have a medical question, please ask your doctor. Thank you. Hello friends, welcome to Crocheting Through Medical History. I'm Maria, here to crochet and talk about medical history. Today we are drinking coffee. Yum yum, am I right? And we're also crocheting the first ring to our stegosaurus. Oh hi. This chair is really not it. Do we think I can remember these instructions? Okay, help me remember. 7, and then a decrease. And then 14, and then a decrease. I can do that. I can do that. Today, we are reading an article about cavities. Because I recently had a filling for the second cavity I've had in my life. Thanks, Lyme disease. Um... And it did not go well, so I'm going back tomorrow. It's been like three weeks, and I was like, it still hurts. And I know this hurts different than the last one I had, but also this cavity didn't hurt and killed it So I was like, maybe it's supposed to be like this. But then every time I floss, I like feel a nerve that I'm hitting with my floss. Anyway, it didn't go well. I'm going back to get it looked at tomorrow. But I was very curious about cavities they kind of suck, not gonna lie. Anyway, but this article is called The Caries Phenomenon, a timeline from witchcraft and superstition to opinions of the 1500s to today's science. And it is in the International Journal of Dentistry. Oh, I forgot to crochet. Oh no. I need to blow my nose, but I don't want to get up. We also, so it's like 100 degrees out, right? and our air conditioning wasn't working. So my wonderful husband and his boss installed a new air conditioning a few days ago. So hopefully you can't hear it too much cause it kind of runs like right over our room. So this historical treatise follows the documented timeline of tooth decay in today's understanding, treatment and teaching of caries technology. Uh, Caries are cavities in case we missed that. Caries have been attributed to many different causes for several millennia, however, only since the late 1900s has research revealed its complex, multifactorial nature. European writers of the 1600s to 1700s held views that general health, mechanical injuries, trauma, and sudden temperature changes all caused caries, holding a common belief that decay was due to chemical agents, faulty saliva, and food particles. Until the early 1800s, most writers believed the caries was due to inflammation by surrounding a diseased alveolar bone. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14! Y'all, that was perfect. Today's science has demonstrated that caries is caused by indigenous oral microorganisms becoming a a dynamic biofilm that, in the presence of fermentable sugars, produce organic acids capable of dissolving inorganic enamel and dentin, followed by the proteolytic destruction of collagen leaving soft infected dentin. As bacteria enter the pulp, infection follows. I feel like I should find a picture of a tooth and put it up for that sentence. I will do that. If you're listening, I hope you understand teeth. The human tooth is unique tissue composite of soft and mineralized tissues. Enamel is the hardest non vital mineralized tissue. Dentin is the hardest vital tissue, and the pulp is a specialized connective tissue lined by dedicated end stage odontoblasts that produce dentin. Why is my nose running? Hold please. I need to blow my nose, but I don't want to get up. Enamel is the hardest non-vital mineralized tissue, dentin is the hardest vital tissue, and the pulp is a specialized connective tissue, pulp chamber, specialized connective tissue lined by dedicated end-stage odontoblasts that produce dentin throughout the life of the tooth, in which the pulp chamber becomes smaller over time. Each tooth is composed of unique regional diversity in anatomy, anatomy, chemistry, sensory, Sensory, physiological, <laughs> sensory physiology in mineral and organic components that constantly change throughout life. The interested reader is referred to 10 Kate's text for a comprehensive review of oral facial development, maturation, and growth. Caries is a common human disease that only attacks vital teeth in an environment under certain oral conditions. Conversely, caries does not infect a tooth once the host is dead. Studies by 19th century clinicians such as doctors Abbott, Black, Leon Williams, Webb, Miller, and Dexter suggested a bacterial etiology to dental caries. This paper considers the caries literature and analyzes its timeline. Erudite articles by Mandel, Nubrin, Nikki Tanzer, and Zero have discussed human caries from antiquity to today. 20th century scientists have clarified the intriguing complexity of the caries mosaic as an infectious disease. The dental community realizes that the failure of the patient to remove or disrupt dental plaque biofilms or minimize frequent consumption of dietary sugars permits cariogenic bacteria to establish a dominant parasitic community. Guys, my math didn't add up. Oh, because I was... That's embarrassing. Okay, so i have doing. I've been doing uh, 14 and then decrease. I've been supposed to be doing 15 and decrease. Once I'm frogging ASMR. I can't tell if Gimli really liked that, or really hated that. Skeletal remains are an excellent historical chymograph of human conditions. Lufkin reported that a 500,000 year old Pleistocene skull from a human ancestor, Pith- uh, Pith- erectus from Java, had severely worn teeth, however no decay was evident. He also showed a Neanderthal skull from the Paleothic era, 400 to 25,000 years ago, with major alveolar bone loss, missing teeth, and various levels of decay in the remaining teeth. I will say I don't believe in evolution, so I do not stand by these years. Anyway, thought I'd get that out there. Um. Did I just stop in the middle of a sentence to say that? Gosh. Okay. He showed a Neanderthal skull from the Paleolithic era with major alveolar bone loss, missing teeth, and various levels of decay in the remaining teeth. Decay was recognized as a widespread disease, revealing that periodontal disease existed in almost every prehistoric race more prevalent than decay. Greeny wrote that during the reign of Hammurabi, circa 2100 BC, a code of laws was left on clay tablets with judicial dictates defining fees and demanding skillful medical treatment of patients against unscrupulous mystics. Before then, Ruffer discussed that most disease was attributed to the presence of unseen demons in the body or to an insult that was caused against a particular god cuneiform tablets from that age served as a medical reference that defined special incantations to request the Babylonian god E to get hold of the worm and pull it from the offending tooth. Breasted wrote of ancient writings that provided accounts that healing of disease was linked to magic and superstitions, but had not been challenged beyond mystical thinking, until Hippocrates proclaimed that disease was due to natural causes and should be treated by means of human reason. Hippocrates suggested that Medicine should be dissociated from magic and witchcraft. His doctrine of disease based on humoral pathology exerted its influence on medical thoughts for many centuries. Okay, this is weird. You know like when you smell a baby's head and it kind of has that like baby head smell? That's kind of what my nose and it's like inside my nose smells like that right now. Stagnation of depraved juices and teeth caused dental pain. He considered affections of the teeth to depend in part on natural predisposition and accumulated filth and corroding action of same. Moreover, Aristotle observed a relationship of eating sweets with dental caries and proposed the question, why do figs when they are soft and sweet produce damage to teeth? Joris wrote of Galen, 131 AD, who considered that lack of proper nutrition caused weak, thin, brittle teeth. Excessive nutrition caused inflammation to produce soft tissues and that loose teeth were the result of excess moisture that impaired the nerves. And the caries is the result of an internal accumulation of corroding humors. From his research of Roman cemeteries, Brescia wrote that caries was a common observation in cultures that had learned of luxury. The early Roman society had elevated the druid priesthood as a guiding influence over the health of the general population, including treatment of diseases like toothache. That was it. That was on the list. (laughs) Ancient folklore thought that the toothworm caused tooth decay and continued into the 1300s, as seen in the writings of De Chaliac. Did the toothworm really exist? Pliny the Elder wrote of the Greek Agath... Tharkitis that people of the Red Sea suffered many strange and unheard attacks. Worms and little snakes came out upon them, gnawed away their legs and arms, and when touched, retracted, giving rise to unsupported purple pains. He also described the death of Pherisides of Syros, who died of a great quantity of creepers that came crawling out of his body. In 1674, Velcius described the winding of a worm on a small stick to gently remove it from a person's body. In 1870, Fed- Fedachenko published the first scientific report of a 12 centimeter guinea worm nematode, which he removed from a person's body, naming it tracunculus medinensis caduceus serpent staff of Asclepius was adopted by the American Medical Association as their symbol in 1912 and could in fact represent the removal of a guinea worm with a stick by the ancients. Ancient folklore described a tooth worm in holes of decay and tissues around the teeth which caused toothache. Many worldwide cultures left oral and written accounts of a tooth worm. Veracity, the truthfulness or agreement with reported facts, allows us to judge early writings. It is recorded that Leeuwenhoek, the father of Microscopy, had received three worms in a just-extracted tooth. Two were dead and one was alive, noting the worms were the same as one's frequenting cheese shops. When he compared live cheese shop worms to his three, he could not Descry the least difference either in the head or the whole body. Many old rotten cheeses had a great many little worms in it, that upon chewing the cheese worms insinuates themselves into the substance of the teeth that nod the sensible parts, and so occasioned great pain." Von Leeuwenhoek reported that his wife ate heartily of old cheese, which was seized with rottenness and had a great many little worms on it. Who like hasn't eaten moldy cheese though? One of the common treatments for the tooth worm of that era was to place a few drops of oil of vitriol acid, into the cavity. It is not surprising that the ancient toothworm theory, as reported by Guy de Chalik, continued into so many cultures. Perhaps the Guinea worm, Dracunculus medinensis, that came from infected drinking water, is the toothworm, in Dracunculiasis, Dracunculus... Dracrun- in Dracun. Eculiasis, the gravid female, can expel over 500,000 juvenile worms in the presence of cooled water, which facilitates its release process. Could it be that exposed vital pulps, which are periodically exposed to cool drinking water, attract gravid females with the release of thousands of guinea worms? This could have occurred in the ancient world, where drinking water was often obtained from deep, cool wells. The natural reservoir for the intermediate host of Draconculus medianensis, a cyclopoid crustacean. <sighs> that was too much Latin for me. The Frenchman Pare, 1510 to 1590, is credited to have almost single-handedly elevated the respect of the dentist to a position of valued recognition in the public eyes. Perret moved away from the toothworm theory, declaring that a toothache was due to internal forces of hot or cold humors that resulted in caries. He stated that teeth organs alter the manner of bones, suffer inflammation, and quickly superate to become rotten, hence the concept of inflammation from within the tooth. Kirk wrote that Pierre Fockard, discredited the toothworm theory, and was one of the first to prefer the more technical term of caries, which he thought was caused by a tumor of osseous fibers that displaced parts of the teeth, causing its destruction. Lufkin discussed the writings of Bondet and Jourdain, who preferred the term dental gangrene to caries, Lufkin wrote that the common thought of many in the 1700s was that tooth decay was caused by the death of bone and soft tissue from around or within the teeth. Hunter of London expressed dissatisfaction with the term caries and preferred the term mortification and held to the concept of the inflammation theory from internal decay, but he did not offer an alternative opinion of any substance. In 1806, Fox was among the first of his contemporaries to use the term dental caries. The common thought was that caries was the result of inflammation of the lining membrane, membrane eborus, along the pulp dentin wall, which penetrated from the inner pulp outwards. The collective theory of many writers of the time was that nutritive factors from surrounding tissues and the pulp were simply withheld. The pulp died and the decomposed caries proceeded through the dentin to the outer enamel surface. In 1831, Bell of England adhered to the concept of inner inflammation, but he felt caries had a hereditary factor. He preferred the term dental gangrene to decay or caries, thinking that gangrene was a consequence of thermal changes, cold to hot which immediately penetrated to the enameled dentin junction, resulting in decay. Bell wrote that when dental gangrene first occurred in the bone surrounding the tooth, necrosis, resulting in gangrene of the pulp, resulting in its destruction, and then penetrated through the dentin and eventually to the enamel. In 1825, Coker emigrated from Germany to America and became a prominent practicing clinician in New York. He then moved to England in 1832, where he assembled his clinical observations and published his own theory of decay. Coker held similar opinions to Hunter and Fox, who felt that decay was due to changes in the tooth temperature that caused inflammation. However, Coker differed sharply with them, noting from his clinical observations that decay first began on the outer enamel surface and then penetrated to the enamel dentin junction and invaded the tubules to eventually infect the pulp tissues. In the late 1700s into the early 1800s, a number of colleagues from different countries using histological preparation and stain techniques made parallel observations the caries was caused by external chemical agents. Professor Harris of Baltimore, Maryland, Robertson of England, Hope of Edinburgh, and Drs. Westcott and Dalarum Cole, had collectively studied histological preparations of extracted human teeth and noted the caries could not have been caused by the mechanism of internal inflammation or from physiological changes inside the tooth. Their collective observations reported that decay was caused from outside the tooth. Robertson, a pined in 1835 the caries was caused by chemical disintegration of the tooth denouncing the theory of inflammation from inside the tooth he postulated the gastric acids acted upon particles of food lodged in pits and fissures and began their destruction a parallel publication by rognard of paris in 1838 noted the caries began on the tooth surface where its effects were first seen Ragnard's clinical observations demonstrated that when extracted, non-carious teeth were fixed in place of missing human teeth. Caries occurred in the pits and fissures of the fixed tooth within a few weeks. Abbott described enamel caries in its earliest stage as a chemical process that dissolved the minerals that caused the breaking apart of crystals, followed by the organization of a protoplasmic mass that invaded the dentin. Abbott wrote the caries consisted of chemical demineralization and the dissolution of dentin into a glue giving basis substance, around and between the tubules that breaks apart into medullary elements associated with secondary formations of micrococci and leptothrix. Desirabode, the surgeon dentist to the king differed with the period's collective writings on inflammation. He designated seven varieties of decay that were based on age, color, texture, damage, and other effects. During those years, a great deal of confusion surrounded the idea that caries was the cause of mingling of gastric acids with mouth fluids. Consequently, many simply preferred to adhere to the chemical theory Dr. Black was one of the first academics to assemble the complete pieces of the puzzle regarding the cause of caries. Several factors played to Black's favor. He had access to the current literature, plus his personal research and clinical observations gave him a unique perspective on the available written data of the day. Black wrote that tooth caries could occur when mouth fluids were habitually acidic or alkaline and the initiation of caries was directly dependent upon lodging of food particles and gelatinous debris, plaque, at irregular pits and fissures of the tooth, followed by the fermentation of the debris and the production of acids that began the demineralization process. It should be noted that for centuries, Vintners had used fermentation technology to make wine, but the science of fermentation was unknown regarding the cause of dental caries. It seemed Harris Robertson, Rognard, and others had simply failed to grasp the full meaning of the relationship of caries to fermentation. In 1840, the theory of fermentation had been fully explained by von Liebig, an unlikely non-dental scientist whose chemistry research was first presented as an oral report to the British Association for the Advancement of Science, with their full acceptance. The mechanics of fermentation had been used for centuries, but it required the genius of Professor von Liebig to present it to the scientific world in the mean form. Until von Liebig, there was no understanding of fermentation in terms of chemical processes. In that era, an acceptable theory of dental caries required something more than a simple hypothesis of chemical dissolution of enamel by an acid. The acid theory was close to the true cause of the caries, but the level of science of the preceding decades simply failed to understand the missing equation. Bacteria. In retrospect, due to the absence of available fermentation science before von Liebig, it's easy to understand that until the work of Louis Pasteur from 1857 to 1876, demonstrated the necessity of microbes in fermentation, just why the scientific understanding of bacterial fermentation causes, causing caries was never completely understood. I've been recording for an hour, and that is ridiculous, considering I cut out half of it because it no longer seemed relevant. Um, so I'm going to set that down and just read. When we project a few decades ahead in our scientific understanding of bacterial fermentation, we can see that Miller presented the chemoparasitic nature of bacteria within the oral cavity and their importance in the initial cause of acid demineralization of enamel and invasion through the enamel-dentin junction to infect the tubule complex leading to destruction of collagen and other proteins. It seems the actual person who might be credited with actually First, describing the exact science of caries may be left to other writers. It simply appears that its discovery was a collective effort by several individuals. The dentist-microscopist Tomes had written in 1848, from his clinical observation, the beginnings of caries, the dentine at this point of incipient disintegration becomes hypersensitive, and not just a few patients complain when parts are disturbed by the contact of foreign bodies. The dentinal tubule complex contained a life force by which the dentin was able to build a barrier against the process of disintegration, and that dentine is possessed of vitality, and that vitality must have Los, been lost before caryotes began, and once the dentin vitality was lost in a specific area or localized point, gelatin was left to undergo gradual decomposition favored by the heat and moisture of the mouth. When tomes applied litmus paper to the cavity of a carious tooth, it always gave a strong acid reaction that demonstrated the destruction of the mineral portions of enamel and dentin. Professor Black wrote that the 1878 studies of Lieber and Rottenstein discussed that decay was a consequence of bacteria and their capacity to promote fermentation. Black showed that by treating decayed human dentin with iodine solutions, the underlying tubules showed a violet color, indicative of bacterial glycogen. He concluded that the tubules were filled with bacteria. In their haste to report their observations, Lieber and Rottenstein indicated that the fungus Leptothrix. was constant in the production of caries. Their observations were important to Miller as he understood the difficulties others had to contend with, but were of little use to understand the fermentation of bacteria and the cause of caries. In the late 1870s, Lieber and Rottenstein showed the presence of bacteria in the tubules causing caries dentin making a profound impact on the dental profession. Mills and Underwood of London used the techniques of Co. to verify the work of Lieber and Rottenstein, a series of sterile flask experiments showed that tooth demineralization was due to acid secreted by bacteria. However, they could not accept the chemical theory of caries from acid demineralization of dentin under aseptic situations, as they placed a tooth in a closed flask with malic and butyric acid with human saliva in a meat suspension under aseptic conditions and no caries developed, finding uniform demineralization on all tooth surfaces, which did not resemble naturally occurring human caries, which was known to be more localized. In his small Berlin laboratory that he shared with Robert Co Millard observed certain bacteria could convert starch by Tylen, amylase, to form sugar that was fermented to lactic acid. Miller cited the work of Mills and Underwood, who wrote that caries was most likely decalcification as a consequence of acid secreted by oral bacteria. Miller's experiments supported studies that implicated caries due to the corrosive action of lactic acid from bacteria that demineralized the mineral of enamel and dentin. In hindsight, it seems that Miller's failure to recognize the true relationship of plaque bacteria to localized dental caries may have been due to his lack of clinical experience compared to that of Black. Professor Black strikes an important point in his discussion that must have come to him as a eureka moment. He wrote in his 1884 paper, Formations of Poisons by Microorganisms, quote, that fermentation is the result of a life processes of certain forms of microorganisms may now be accepted as a truism and will not be argued, He realized that fermentation was a chemical process and that a number of substances may be formed naturally by true processes. Having read Millard's publications and studies, Black wrote, what is called fermentations by an organized fermentable agent is but the first step in true fermentation. Until that time, Miller's observations of fermentation had been mainly to study the digested agent, dentin, by lactic acid. Miller had asked of the microorganisms of decay, what is its food, and in what chemical form is it delivered back after having served the purpose of an organism? It now seems that Black was able to piece together the complex puzzle of the cause of human caries by his own and other colleagues' research data. Professor Davis wrote in his textbook that most rapid caries was of a light or white color and that the hypersensitive nature of this substrate is very high. Whereas moderately colored yellow and brown varieties are less sensitive and that the darker brown to black that represents the slow progressing form is much less sensitive when compared to normal. Davis identified two levels of caries dentin, a superficial zone located towards the oral surface and called infected dentin, was caused by the action of lactic acid and proteases from certain bacteria that left a soft, leathery substrate. The deeper zone located toward the pulp was called affected dentin, often referred to as secondary caries, being composed of fewer bacteria and demineralized dentin. Black's use of references is an indication of his erudite nature. It was obvious his depth of reading, understanding, knowledge, and forward thinking about the causes of caries for that era surpassed many others. He understood the caries disintegration always begins on the enamel surface of the tooth in some pit or irregularity, and the acid was formed at the very spot where caries begins. His clinical experience showed him that certain foods were associated with higher levels of caries. He grasped the importance of bacteria feeding upon lodged food particles and fermenting them to organic acids. Black had made certain personal histological observations. Carey's penetration of dentin occurs by following the tubules to the pulp. His extended observations showed that pulp exposures occurred with the least destruction of dentin. Exposure of the pulp will occur. That is to say, the more perfect the development, the more complete the penetration is confined to the direction of the tubules. He demonstrated that carious softening tended to be in isolated tubules, whereas softening of a ground section of dentin in a mineral acid was seen at its whole entirety. Their appearances were distinctly different. Black also observed that the initial caries invasion, the internal diameter of the tubules, became enlarged, and using an aniline dye stain, he demonstrated the tubules were occupied with bacteria. Regarding enamel caries, Black's laboratory studies demonstrated that enamel rods fell apart at the periphery and not in the rod center. His 1884 article summarized many of previous observations. Decay of the tooth is certainly a specific disease running a specific course and evidently arising from a specific cause, but this cause is not yet certainly known. While there is no decay without the presence of an acid, there is not necessarily decay because of the presence of an acid. It's important to realize that J. Leon Williams, a colleague of J.V. Black, also observed dental caries as an in-situ phenomenon in teeth associated with an overlying thick, felt-like mass of acid-forming microorganisms, otherwise known as dental plaque. I'm going to go steal Gimli. This is my kitty cat, Gimli. Hi. You're joining us now. Using various microscopic techniques, Fourier illustrated six zones of carious dentin, bacteria-rich, bacteria-few, pioneer bacteria, turbid layer, transparent, and a vital reaction layer. However, from a clinical point of view, tactile discrimination of caries varied from clinician to clinician due to its softness. The issue of caries discrimination was solved by Professor Fusayama and Terakima, used an in, in vivo stain. They demonstrated that softened carious dentin is composed of two layers. Their research demonstrated an outer infected carious zone just below the enamel-dentin junction densely populated with facultative and anaerobic bacteria that secrete 1 organic acids capable of dissolving hydroxapatite crystals and 2 proteases that degrade collagen and other proteins causing detachment of apatite crystals leaving the one-solid substrate to simply collapse on itself. This outer infected caries is completely dead, with no capacity to register any sensitivity to tactile or thermal stimuli, and is not physiologically capable of remineralization. This fact makes its removal clinically painless, as no anesthesia is necessary. The deeper-affected carious dentin is generally 1,000 to 2,500... Mm. This is really testy in my brain. Um, micrometers? Microns. Micrometers. <laughs> okay. The deeper affected caries dentin is generally 1,000 to 2,500 micrometers thick and generally contains only a few pioneer bacteria. It is somewhat softened due to organic acids dissolving the mineral rich crystals without. Proteases, damaging the organic proteins. This deeper carrier zone is vital with a sensory capacity to respond to various stimuli. Once the clinician reaches this vital layer with minimally invasive instrumentation, they realize when to stop instrumentation as the underlying affected tubule complex is physiologically capable of remineralization with crystals that fill the lumen of dentinal tubes, tubules to become sclerotic. Importantly, the application of these principles has evolved into the therapeutic use of indirect pulp capping and stepwise excavation. For the conservative preservation of the vital dentin pulp during clinical care is removal as long as a bacteriometric seal can be maintained. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. This expression from Benjamin Franklin means it is better to avoid problems in the first place rather than trying to fix them once they arise. In a 1886 lecture of students, G.V. Black stated, quote, The day is surely coming and perhaps within the lifetime of you young men before me when we will be engaged in practicing preventative rather than reparative dentistry. We wonder what black would think if he realized that most of today's dental schools throughout this world still teach a restorative focused curriculum rather than a series of preventative courses since the 1790s what since the 1970s our profession has witnessed the introduction of caries detectors acid etchants glass ionomer and composites that seem more suited to minimal intervention than Black's extension for prevention concepts of amalgam placement." (sighs) Gotta say, I think the rest of the healthcare world should um, put more weight on that saying. The addition of fluoride to public water has proved effective to reduce caries in human dentitions post-developmental use of fluoride is known to cause a significant reduction in caries through topical interaction with surface enamel and dentin throughout life. Other measures have shown that alteration or reduction of dietary sugars also results in a major decrease of caries in experimental animal models and humans. It is interesting to pause and reflect on dental research since mid-1800. Once caries was known to begin on the external tooth surface and proceed inwards, the dental profession gained recognition amongst the worldwide populace. As the science of caries prevailed, the toothworm faded into oblivion. New devices and technologies emerged in parallel fashion and became used in the laboratories of clinicians who were researching for answers to the biology of the tooth and caries. Gimli's making little biscuits. North American notables such as Harris, Black, Webb, Williams, and Miller all shared very common childhood experiences. They were not born of nobility or gentry, but grew up in humble rural surroundings and learned of life by spending long hours in the pursuit of nature. American cultural history records that almost every home contained the popular textbook of the day of Comstock's philosophy for family reading and group discussions after dinner time in their evening. Each of the individuals had a similar introduction to dentistry and study. They used their own personal finances. No governmental agency dispensed research funds for their research. They pursued answers to questions that had evaded other colleagues and published their findings because they wanted to make sure new knowledge was available to colleagues worldwide. There was no academic pressure to publish or perish. Where should we go from here? It seems that much of the Above information, although still available in the dental literature, remains somewhat lost in the academic teaching of caries for today's dental students. A fundamental knowledge of dental caries and the pulpal response to this bacterial insult remains elusive to many of today's clinicians and educators. Since the 1880s, we have learned that the bacteria are the cause of caries, as a dynamic biofilm dental plaque, and that bacteria are essential for pulpal disease. Restorative procedures and devices have been developed to identify and remove caries. Has our current cosmetic restorative era failed us? Are today's dental students integrating the appropriate clinical and scientific information for caries risk assessment, minimal intervention in caries removal, preservation of the vital pulp, and total prevention of dental decay within human dentition? Thanks to the personal curiosity and initial research efforts of Harris, Webb, Black, Williams, Miller, and other colleagues of the late 1880s, our dental community now recognizes the cause of caries. The authors, again, remind the readers of Professor G.V. Black's challenge from 1886, quote, the day is surely coming, and perhaps within the lifetime of you young men before me, when we will be engaged in practicing preventative rather than reparative dentistry, Unquote. The time is now as we travel along this timeline from the past to our future. Our scientific community has made enormous advances in molecular biology to further understanding our dental caries as a biological phenomenon. We must integrate our current discoveries and past knowledge base into clinical practice. Let us not only prevent dental caries at all levels, but also preserve the vital dental pulp. Woo! Oh my gosh that was a lot that's like that last paragraph was like inspiring and i'm not a dental professional so that's saying something i did though just spend like over an hour reading that um (sighs) it's really nap time now kimley do you want to come back and cuddle do you want to cuddle he doesn't want to cuddle Ponyo, my dog knows cuddle. I'll be like, Ponyo, want to cuddle? And then I'll like hop up on the bed and it's so cute. But Gimli either does not know or he just doesn't want to cuddle. Anyway, um, that's all. I haven't crocheted a ton since last week. So, what I showed you with Mr. Dino Boy. Did I show you Mr. Dino Boy? This is him, these are his feet. And then I have part of a ring Uh yeah that's really all I've done that's okay happy back to school if you're in school that's starting this week or last week or a long time ago if you're one of those weird schools it starts really early good luck uh, if you if you want to not read an article and have me read it for you so you can listen to it let me know send me articles <laughs> our subjects to learn about and we can learn together. Um, yeah. Thanks for being here. I love you. Stay safe, stay healthy, go to the dentist and I will see you next week. Bye.